And now, do you like Prince movies? Give in the theme music. Time to breathe. Hey. Hey, everybody. This is Do You Like Prince Movies? I am CGI Alec Papademus. Rest in peace. I am I am 100% in the flesh, Wesley Morris. So you I say. Don't know, I don't know. They're I don't doing know why amazing things with technology these days. <laughs> I've been I've been restored. I was unable to finish this podcast, and so there's going to be some moments when it's a little weird. We should also apologize for not being around last week. I should and, apologize and... for making jokes about Paul Walker. I think let's start there. God, when did you make jokes? About <laughs> so Paul that's what Walker. I was saying. I was CGI. I was making a joke about CGI. Oh no! I know. See, that totally went over <sighs> my head. I didn't. I didn't get that. You I... know what? You know what's so amazing about that? It's that he, to me, in that movie, is is not CGI at all. <laughs> he's more present than he's ever been. More present than he's ever been, it's true. <sighs> who compared it? Was it Richard Brody who said he has the eyes of a Siberian husky? There's such that a great right. Paul Walker writing happening right now in all these reviews of these movies. Of yeah, the, I mean, you know, all these... I have always had a minor soft spot for Paul Walker. Running Scared, not a... Not a, it's an appalling movie, but the two cool things in it are him and Vera Farmiga. How many times have you turned on the Paul Walker running scared on a movie channel thinking that it's the, the Billy Crystal, Gregory Hines running scared and been like, oh yeah, I'll watch that. And then, oh, it's Paul Walker getting a hockey puck shot at his face. Yeah. Uh, not, not often. They're very different. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I guess I never really see it. It just it's just on. I don't know. Um, I do it all the time. I fall for it every time. <laughs> I, I guess you I actually, don't like either of those movies, is what you're saying. It's fine. Moving on. I'm sorry to uh, um, to have said things, and sorry we weren't there last week. Sorry, like how many weeks has it been? Uh, just that one week, and then the week before, the week before that. It's we're we're fine. <laughs> um, we're going to this week talk about uh, Furious Seven, and. There's a drought in California right now, and I, 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 the realness of the drought now. It's been four years. is has has turned super real, and it just got me and Alex thinking about how the prophecy has basically been been laid before us over decades and decades about California's relationship to water. So we're just gonna talk about about popular culture and California drought. And then we have a jam. As always. But before, you wanted to ask me some questions. Yeah, I had a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Uh, I wanted to tell you that you need to watch Bloodline. I'm going to tell you that in a way of, uh, you know, as a way of telling everybody else that. I spent the last week of TV watching time. My wife and I watched 13 episodes of Bloodline because there are 13 episodes. It's a Netflix show. Is it an hour? Is every episode an hour? It's a real, yeah, no, it's a re- and it's an hour. It's a real hour. I'm still, I've got like three episodes left of House of Cards. I know you're going to tell me to just give up, but I, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to keep watching it. Of what? Of um, like what's the new, the the new season of House of Cards or the current? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I don't. Even, I don't. I got, as we I, know, I have 13 as you hours know. of that left. I don't think I'm ever getting in. <laughs> 
I know I said I wouldn't watch another season, but here I am watching another season. Um, I will watch Bloodline. I will watch Bloodline because you, your, your, the specificity of your recommendation to me was for Ben Mendelsohn and Norman Leo Butts. Yes, and Nor- that is Norbert the, Leo Butts. Uh, um, did I say Norman? You said Norman. It's okay. I didn't correct you. It was just you, you know, should correct me. I was just res- Norbert. It's just showing respect for my man. Um, um, it is. Well, I'd also like Norbert Leo Butts as well. I just misset his name. Anyway, uh, yeah, someone else recommended Bloodline for the exact same reason. So I thought I was going in for Kyle Chandler and Sissy Spacek, and I'm coming out for those two. And I do think Ben Mendelsohn is a kind of genius. So he I, is. I wow, it's I'm a, excited to watch it. He's really incredible in this. It's one of the it's one of the great performances I've ever seen on uh, quote unquote TV. Like what if you want to call this a TV show more wow. than it is a thing? It's I, I yeah he's, okay. he's amazing. The two of them the two of them are great. And like Kyle Chandler, this is a show that it, it's almost like Kyle Chandler and Sissy Spacek and Sam Shepard are, are like support. So it's really strong. Like they're not even the like they they become more important as it goes along. But it's really for for me, it's Men, it's Mendelssohn and you know Norbert Leo Butts as well. All right. Well, I can't wait. And then we can talk about then we can have the greatest television performances of all time conversation because I actually want to do that. I will come with five people, and you can come with five people, and we can talk about it. Wow. Uh, next. Next. Uh, this Twin Peaks thing. I don't know if you have any oh, feelings boy. about that. I I, I, wanna... I don't have any feelings. I mean, who cares? I mean, yes, I was excited because you were excited that it was happening. And now I'm sad for you because I assume you're probably sad that it's not happening. But I don't care. You know, I don't care either. This is my feeling about it. I respect, you know, when David Lynch had to promote like Inland Empire, I think it was. Do you remember what he did to promote that movie? That unpromotable movie that no uh, one except I someone remember. deeply but in the But parenthetically, tank. if nobody's seen Inland Empire, do that instead of being sad about Twin Peaks no longer existing. Yeah. It's his last his last uh, theatrical movie, maybe, you know, for, to hear him tell it, maybe ever. So the exciting thing, obviously, about this Twin Peaks reboot was that he was going to direct all nine hours of it. And that was going to be him directing something for the first time in kind of a while. And he's walked away from it, saying that the money wasn't right from Showtime. Showtime was going to put it on, and then uh, said that you know they could not uh, come. The budgetary to... money, not his salary. Well, that's the thing. He didn't exactly say which, and that that's mm. an important distinction. He didn't yes, really that's, specify. That's a good point, right? Okay. Who's which money was not right? It may have been the budget. I don't know. It's unclear. It could be. It could be either one. Even if I it heard was... it as the budget, but you you're a better journalist than I am. I just I just read it. I mean, it just doesn't say exactly. It, no, he just said it, it, you're a better reader than I am. I, I no, I just you're I, literate. <laughs> I here's the thing about it. There's already all of this. Maybe part of this is that like I was a fan of this show 25 years ago when it was happening. When it was getting canceled, I was a participant in pre-internet letter writing campaigns to save it. Which were, of course, oh my God. useless. How could I not have known that about you? How did, how did you not inf- infer that about me? That I, was- I just, I don't know. I don't know. I should. I, you're right. I should have. I just never did the math on that. I'm also bad at math. 
there there is there is somewhere in some archive the 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 letters the reasonable letters that I wrote to uh, Robert A Iger who was at the time the head of ABC Television um, now and, he's our boss and exactly if I I've never met him but I will I will say hey listen uh, it's all it's it's all good I, I I forgive you for canceling Twin Peaks I understand the you know now that I understand more about the economics of television I get it. Uh, here's the thing. There's all of these. So part of it is because I was, I, I lived through that the first time, I guess I'm disinclined to go through it again, but you see all these things of like people sort of tweeting at Mark Cuban, like, Hey, why don't you pick up Twin Peaks and get it? And like the next step is, and I think the thing that sort of, I think the, 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 the ambient sort of frustration is that Lynch is not the guy who's going to go to like Kickstarter and be like, I'm going to do this myself. Like I'm going to do it. And like, you know, honestly good for him. I'm sort of. I support I'm, that. I feel like, look, if you're not getting whatever it is, if you're not getting the salary, you're not getting the budget. I think it's cool that he's walking away. I think it should say something, though. The fact that he's walking away should say something about how excited he really was to do this in the first place. You know, it's uh, the sequel, the sort of going back in TV. I don't know. Like, m- must everything be a little online barn raising? You know, it's not. It's, it, like, I, that's my feeling about it. You this know, is but, where I've been. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm glad. Yes, I'm. I stand with you. Also, I hope this doesn't result in in the in the David Lynch equivalent of what J.J. Abrams is to George Lucas. I hope it doesn't like result in something like that either. Yeah, I mean, and I was, uh, you know, I, I tweeted something about it, sort of pointing out that a lot of different directors and writers made that show. It was not a pure auteur situation the way that this miniseries was going to be. It was not a 13 hour. David Lynch, Mark Frost movie directed by David Lynch, you know, or the, the you know, the first right. season, he directed like two episodes of the first season. He directed six out of 29 overall. And a lot of other talented people executed that. I don't think it's a tragedy. I am weirdly, it's weird because I'm a Twin Peaks fanboy and a David Lynch fanboy. I am weirdly excited still about the prospect of this happening without him. I don't know why. I know that's sacrilegious. I'm sort of okay with it because it's not like, I mean, unless it's somebody, you know, I mean, the joke is like somebody's going to come in and like throw out all the scripts that they had and sort of make their own Twin Peaks. But that's not going to happen. You're not going to have like a sort of like season four community version of Twin Peaks. Uh, Uh, I hope not. Yeah. But no, I'm sort of, but you know, I'm sort of, the bottom line is I'm, I think it's cool that as an artist for whatever reason, and I include, you know, whether, whether it's salary or budgetary or whatever the combination was. The money not being right, I respect him for walking away from it, and you know. But I also think it's weird that nobody's mad at him. That everybody's like, "Oh, Showtime," you know. I don't know if he really, really, really wanted to do it. Maybe he would you know, figure out a way. Maybe he didn't really want to do it. Maybe he wants to paint. I think he always wants to paint. He just wants to paint and make furniture. He's like, "Look, I could paint and make furniture. That furniture's not cheap. He could sell his furniture." I don't well, know. There's got to be something better. I would be more excited to see him do something that had no relation to anything he's done before, because those things always work. See Inland uh, Empire. I, I nominate Fast and Furious 8. <laughs> Fast 8. <laughs> David Lynch's Fast 8. No cars. <laughs> uh, and he'd be in it. That'd be the other thing. I want him in the Kurt Russell part. Yeah, fast eight. Yes. All right. So we now we now have there we go twenty five billion dollar <laughs> juggernaut. This will be the first people. Fast and Furious movie to make ten thousand dollars <laughs> opening weekend. Uh, it'll be a big hit at Oberlin and nowhere else. Oh, 
Man, okay, now I now we have to have that. This is like this is like when you suggested John Waters for the the purge three, and and I can't, I, I everything else will be a disappointment now. Yeah, I know it's true. I've been thinking, I think about that every once in a while too. <laughs> anyway, we'll be right back to talk about the actual Furious Seven. All right, let's get to work. Hey, Roman, you freaking out? No. Yes, you are. <laughs> Somebody just walk me through what we're supposed to be doing. Oh, yeah, here we go. Game time. Roman, you're praying, aren't you? $50 says he's praying right now. I get... You need some fresh air? Because you're about to get a whole lot of it. Um, okay, here we go. I have to say, I had so much pleasure... I mean, I have pleasure watching all of these movies. Uh, I, I've particularly enjoyed this one maybe more than the... I like Fast Five. Fast Five was my previous favorite of, of this franchise. This this Fury 7 is, a, is, a, is above and beyond my love for Fast Five. And I think part of it is a sequence like that, which is predicated upon both the authority to send five are heavily armored vehicles out of an air carrier via parachute Driving onto a backwards yes. out of the back of a C130 <laughs> yes 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 onto a road in the Caucasus i i just i have to stand up and applaud i also you know i it's just it who's doing that like who and it's like you it's mean, the sort of thing where wait, who's doing what do you mean like cinematically or like who in, terms in the of movies right i'm sorry plans. i should have been <laughs> should have been more specific no no one's it, doing that in the real world because there's no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't plan. mean kids don't try this at home i mean like who in hollywood is is sitting around thinking you know what would be really rad is this sequence right here and i just it's funny cuz we've had these we've had the movies for for over a century, they've done a lot of crazy things, right? We, you and I, and millions of other people have seen just the craziest things happen in movies. This, I have to say, is probably got to be in the near the top. I mean, not only in terms of its sheer stupidness, but also in terms of how much fun it is to watch something so stupid. And to know for the people involved in the stunt to know that the stunt or like some of the people involved in the stunt to know the stunt is stupid. It just it I don't know. It's just really it makes me so happy. I like this movie a lot. I do, too. I'm I, I haven't ranked them. It's above six in some ways. I, it's it's hard to say. Right. Because this was this is the one that has a, a, a weird emotional core to it that the other ones have not had because, you know, yes. that it's Paul Walker's last movie. You know, that it's the, 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 the band is breaking up in that sense, sort of by necessity that they you know, I don't think we're spoiling anything by saying that there he is. He is written out at the end of this in a way that it, I think I found satisfying. Some people have found weird. I don't think kind it's of a weird. It's totally it, natural. Yeah, it's natural. It's natural enough. It's the only moment when the, the, the they've clearly cobbled something together, and there's a, there's a weird kind of uncanny valley moment where he does the same look twice, and you can really tell 
you know, in, at least in the cut that I saw, which I assume is the cut. I think it was, you know, I saw it at South by Southwest, and it was apparently still kind of wet from the lab when they brought it out there filming. <laughs> so this movie did not get wet in a lab at any point, but you know what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, so it's hard. It, it, it's hard to know exactly where to rank it because it has that. It has a, a, a strange sort of elegiac quality that the other ones don't have. It doesn't have like something super i mean it does it, it has this parachuting onto the road it doesn't have like the bank vault on a chain car chase no, no. which is just but, inspired and crazy there's not enough of the rock for me to me put either. it at the I top it's like the rock was clearly you know the, like like paul walker's in it more than the rock somehow you know, which is unusual, although The Rock does have that sort of flexing with the cast thing. The, the cast, like, yes. No, I mean, he's there's enough of him in here at, at, at such a high level that mm-hmm. you really don't feel cheated. And I find the stunt work to be so good. And I found the plot interesting enough to not mind his absence. Like, it wasn't as though it's not like some movies where there's somebody who's really charismatic and, and, and fun to watch who is is on the other side of the movie somewhere or on the other side of the plot and you're just desperate to get him to get the movie back to that person. I don't miss him while he's not in this movie, but I'm really happy when he is. Yeah, that he's like it's it's like what's the what's the James Bond movie where uh, they 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 feed Felix Leiter to the sharks? Oh, you're not going to get a good answer from me. I don't know. I think it's License to Kill. Uh, that he's it, it doesn't feel like one of those things where it's just the pretext like they I can they, sing the theme song they, to License to Kill I cannot name the plot <laughs> it is well yeah it's weird you just you could probably improvise a theme song that's what I miss about the Bond films I guess they had that the song is you know the title I don't know is there gonna be Spectre <laughs> this is gonna be the first one where they can't do it it'll be no it'll be Pharrell and he'll find a way to do it <laughs> Be careful anyway. what you wish for. Yeah, these uh, movies actually could use a theme song, couldn't they? The Fast and the Furious. Yeah, they remember, don't like, really. The, that's the, the one first thing. one was like yeah. Nickelback, right? <laughs> yeah, and this one is there's a, there's that uh, it's like a Ti Young Thug song that's sort of just it's just like it's the sound of excitement, but it doesn't really. There's not like a hook or anything. You know? Right, right, right. I'm fi- I'm fine with that. We don't. We don't I'm really fine. That. These movies aren't missing anything. No, I mean, look, this one. I don't. I, the The end of this one, I think, is kind of a mess. That sort of Los Angeles chase, I don't like that much. It feels. It doesn't. It. it you can follow it. But it just feels kind of diagrammed, and it's like, oh, and then here's the drone, and here's this thing. There's like, there's too many things going on. But Alex, I know the, Look. it's hot potato with a human being. <laughs> they have to keep her out. I mean, the reason for the diagramming of the chase is in order for it to work, it has to actually be diagrammed. Yes. That's the thing that's so funny about it. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's the thing about this movie in general is that there's so many ways for things to go wrong. I I mean, like for things to physically go wrong, and yet it's like this is the perfect plan. We're going to parachute onto this road (laughs) at this spot, and then we're going to race extra fast and break into this uh, prison bus and take a person out of the back of it. Uh, Okay, so like uh, these are these are minor complaints. My sort of larger complaint, and it's not a complaint, it's just sort of an observation, and we're talking about where Fast 8 goes, and it's almost like it needs to go smaller, because at this point, it's basically, and like the, you pointed this out in your review, like, they're basically superheroes now, they're basically yeah. indestructible, there is, <laughs> Paul Walker fights Tony Jaw at one point, and does not immediately die from having his nose bone pushed up into his head, 
you know, and there's right. there's also there's a lot of there's a lot of question about who can Jason Statham beat up. You know, he's just fighting these guys that are much, much bigger than him in both cases. Like, The Rock fights Jason Statham. I'm pretty sure that if The Rock fought Jason Statham in some in real life, you know, at like out in the parking lot of the Ivy for some reason, like, The Rock <laughs> wins that fight. Probably. <laughs> but the thing that is... The thing that we, okay, so here's the thing. I think there's a way in which this movie is counting on your movie, your movie awareness. Mm-hmm. And that you know, they're, they're, the assumption is that you've probably seen Jason, Jason Statham in in the Transporter movies and in Crank, and you just you just ex- I mean, I always forget that he is a talented sort of. I mean, I, do we call him a martial artist? I mean, he's he's really good. He's a really good mover and a pretty yeah. powerful you know physical presence yeah movie fighting he's good at right 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 i mean you know i mean professional wrestling does this a lot comic books do this a lot where you have this giant beast of a you you know the thing that seems totally inconquerable up against like a like a smaller wilier version of that and then suddenly the smaller wilier guy is so yeah whoa yeah exactly yeah i think jason statham is credibly that person Mm -hmm. That's fine. Um, and he's, he, I mean, you know, I like, I actually really liked that he would just show up in every scene. Like, people have been Yeah, I was about this. polluted by, I read, I read your, I read what you wrote the first time you saw this movie, and I saw the movie after I read that. And I thought, oh my, I just laughed every time you showed up somewhere. <laughs> I don't know that I would have found that funny or noticed it. If you hadn't pointed it out, but watching the movie with that in mind, I definitely found it very funny. He shows he show up, up to back clean up. At the exact, yeah, three quarters, three quarters of the way point through every big action set piece, he kind of swoops in, you know, like Dick Dastardly, like Darth Vader in the TIE Fighter, and just comes in to be another level of complication with whatever sort of vehicle is required. He somehow, he's there. He's just got one. Yeah, he's just there. He's just sort of, he, he just made it. He, he's got a tracking device. It just takes him a, a, a second, you know, so that's, yeah, it's it's all good. I mean, look, I, I had an incredible experience sitting there watching this movie. I watched the same, in the same row as Tyrese. <laughs> oh my god i would switch it. anything because i watched it in the same row as a woman who kept talking to her boyfriend <sighs> about the plot she's like oh mommy you're gonna be fine don't worry <laughs> she's talking to michelle rodriguez oh mommy no go find yourself go find yourself <laughs> she really keyed into the michelle rodriguez she was like i mean arc. she was glued to i mean this is sort of i mean i don't know if this is genius but I think you know the night I saw it. I saw it the I saw it at the earliest possible Thursday night show because um, I missed all my chances to see it because I was away. And there were a lot of women there, and the woman next to me was with her boyfriend. She was talking the s h i t out of of my, Michelle Rodriguez every time Michelle Rodriguez would show up when she when they bring her back. To join the team, she's oh yes, Letty found herself. She found herself. I was just like, that's great. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't it's, know. I mean, it's it was really I enjoyed that. It didn't bother me at all. I would have traded her for Tyrese, but Tyrese was yeah, he was you know he was pretty serious about it. I don't know. I think there was a, you know I think maybe even Tyrese felt there was a lot of Tyrese in this movie, but you know, I look Tyrese. Tyrese has it. Like he's not a good actor, 
But he that sequence at Abu in Abu Dhabi where in the they're at the print where they crash the prince's party. Oh, can we talk about one thing before I go back to that for one second? Yeah. This movie, the other thing that I like about this movie so much is that it has so many of my favorite like movie ideas. Like I love I love any movie that has a big party. And there's somebody at the party who does not belong there, but is pretending to be there. Or, you know, it's like my favorite screwball comedy conceit, which is like the 15 minute, 20 minute party sequence where they have to like, it is kind of its own sort of action sequence. I love that. Where they have about, you know, 20 people who need to do like specific things in order to both advance their plot and entertain you. Um, this movie actually has one of those and it's just like there aren't enough of those sorts of things too in the movies in general and this of all the movies to have that sort of sequence like a party sequence this one has it and really makes it special and the reason it's special is Tyrese who has to like stall so the gang can uh, get the tracking device out of the very expensive car of the of the person whose party it is the prince whose party it is it's yes. just, I don't know, in order for that sequence to work, he's got to be charming. And he is charming in that. I, I don't know. Yeah, and there's so many sort of moving parts of that because then Michelle Rodriguez has to fight Ronda Rousey. Ronda like, Rousey. <laughs> <laughs> who's so excited. She's all the way in Abu Dhabi. She's got no one to fight. And then that's another case of like, I'm pretty sure Ronda Rousey would, would literally kill Michelle that Rodriguez. That would have lasted one scene. But... But, you yeah. believe Michelle Rodriguez could handle her for and and yeah. to the movie's credit, they do make it a draw, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a draw. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez doesn't beat Ronda Rousey. Yeah, although Ronda Rousey also has like assassins in her corner, like she has like a team of five people helping her right. out. Yeah, and she's still... like, don't make don't make me get involved. <laughs> Oh, these women can't even. Oh my God! Now I have to fight myself oh, in this in this dress. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that whole that whole sequence. Just from the moment that they get to put on tuxedos, it's just awesome. It's just one of those things where, like, these, you know, we're talking. I, I, we brought up we brought up James Bond. Like that, I would say is a case of. Those 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 recent movies, the, the idea of like let's have Sam Mendes make these James Bond movies. You know, I think those James Bond movies are now incredibly overthought, and this is kind of what they're those so could ponderous. Be. And it's like we don't necessarily like it, 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 you know we don't always need to be reflecting on the idea of James Bond within the James Bond movies. I'd rather see someone else do that in their own kind of thing and let the James Bond movies kind of be the James Bond movies in some way. It's hard because you can't really you know there's so much kind of retrograde stuff in those movies that you can't just do the dumb version of it. This is now the closest thing we have. This is our James Bond franchise, you know, mm. like where it's just kind of it like, you know, it's bigger and cooler every time they're sort of, you know, going to exotic locations and this, you know, we got to steal the thing from the thing. And it's not, you know, it, it's not overthought. Like, and this one has a little more kind of feeling to it because, you know, of the, you know, that it's the end of this configuration. Mm-hmm. In in some ways. But yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's what's great about it. And it's, you know, it's also, it's like, it still is somehow tied to physical human reality somewhat in a way that like a superhero movie is not. Well, and its emphasis on family is really interesting. I well, mean, yes, it, yeah. they they keep Dom's like, it's the only word Dom says like more than once. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Groot. We're family. <laughs> We're a family. 
we're yeah, family. don't forget we're a family. And it's weird it's because... It's all about family. I made fun of that when I wrote about Fast 6, that, of, a, about, of that aspect of it where we're supposed to care about these characters that somehow, like we're supposed to, you know, which starts like when they kind of bring them all back together, you know, in the... Uh, right. Like in the fourth one but it, it now feels that way and i think it's somehow you know it, it, it's weird because you, you can sort of i don't know i don't know if i would still if i would have the same feelings about it if paul walker had not died but like i that's the that's the question right like would the, like that family thing somehow feels true and like there is an extra cinematic aspect to that i me. think in I think in this one, I agree with you, but I also think that the, that there's something about there is that sort of extra intangible emotional dimension that that we as movie bringers who know that Paul Walker is dead bring to this movie. And then there is what's actually in the story, which was written. The, the script was written by Chris Morgan, who wrote who's written five of these of these movies, the last five, I believe. Which is, and, I think, really a good thing. But one of the reasons that they work, by the way, is that it's been—it's not just—it has not been this hot potato. That it's been pretty much. This is the first time it's been directed. It's directed by James Wan. It's the first one directed by someone uh, other than. And I'm suddenly blanking on his name. Jer- Justin Lin. Justin Lin. Thank yeah, you. Justin Lin. Completely, but yeah. So like, I thought that was yeah. I think that makes yeah, so, a difference. So Rob Cohen did the first one. John Singleton did the second one, and Justin Lin did the subsequent three or four. Until starting this one, with Tokyo Drift, yeah, James Wan. Yep. So there's been a real consistency, you know. It, it's they're they're not like they're not like writers' movies in any way, but they, they, you know, some one person knows these characters and has been working with them for a while, and I think that's probably part of it too. Right, why right. it feels sort of richer. And, anyway, and so anyway, my point was just that, like in this in the script for this movie, he, for instance, makes Letty's amnesia a real emotional thing mm-hmm. for her yeah and like she really is like i mean i totally understand why the woman next to me was like letty you got to go find yourself girl i totally get it because i, I mean i don't know it's a to- this is another like great movie trope conceit thing that really works in this movie which is the amnesia plot <laughs> she has to remember who she used to be in order to become the person that she that she currently actually is which is Married to Vin Diesel, or sorry, married to Dom Toretto. Just be clear about that. Um, I I don't know. I really like that. I think that's really smart. And I think it gives the movie, I mean, I think that party sequence, all of those action sequences, obviously, the amnesia stuff, the, 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 the one last job, if you're, if you're, if you're the Paul Walker character, there are so many movie things in this film that all sort of work at the at, at, at an equally good level. And I, I really I like that you are emotionally invested in this woman in a way that you weren't. I mean, I always like this character, but here you're invested in her in a way that you weren't previously. Um, but I mean, I think I just really liked Michelle Rodriguez and wanted her to be in all the scenes. And so when she isn't, I get disappointed, but she's a lot to do in this movie. And I think I love that the movies never gave up on, on her and that character. Um, I mean, I don't know where the Jordana Brewster fans sit on the sidelining of Jordana Brewster, but I'm okay with that. But I, I like that the, this, the series recognizes the, the sort of great human properties that it has and can make the most of them. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I uh, 
So I don't know. I don't know where this one will come down in the you know in the in the history. Once when I'm ranking them, when I'm looking at you know reaching back from Fast Fifteen, which, <laughs> which of course there will be. I don't know where don't it's know. going. I mean, I don't know. It's well, no, it's 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 weird because now what I my my worry is that now it will sort of branch off into you know thirteen sub franchises. You know, and I hope a, not. It'll be really Roman's Revenge. <laughs> like, oh no! It'll be the rise I mean, of Tej. Yeah, exactly. Oh boy, I I just want to you know my my favorite 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 thing about these films, um, and I think the thing that the movies never really openly acknowledge, but obviously are certainly aware of, is is the sort of multiracial, interracial, multicultural, multi ethnic aspect of what an action movie can be. And with Paul Walker's dying, this now means that if there is a, I mean, if there is a fast eight, yeah. it will proceed without a white person in the group. Yeah. I mean, that was the most interesting thing about it, right? Is that it starts out in your, as your real classic kind of like Johnny Utah white guy learning about, you know, the subculture or whatever, but it's an, right. it's a, it's a vaguely ethnic subculture. That's never really, you know, it's like, it's Dom Toretto is Italian, but they're sort of, you know, they're kind of culturally like Latino and Japanese because they're into street racing. Those are like, you know, it's, it's, it's like they're getting into those worlds and then gradually like he just becomes less important. He becomes, or he becomes less kind of Equal. like, exactly. That's, it's not like right. he, yeah, it just sort of, it suddenly is distributed like in a weird, in a way like the, who's, who matters. And it's that, the shift from, you know, him being the hero to it being an ensemble piece is really interesting. And it's gotta be, I mean, I know that it is because there's the statistic like 75%, it's a huge opening weekend and 75% of that opening weekend audience is non-white. Apparently, yeah, I according mean, to whatever I don't... the metrics they have for that. Here we go with our conversation from two weeks ago, but I mean, yeah. I don't know how people aren't seeing numbers like that and being like, and being and honestly being like, well, you know, not only are we underserving a, a, an audience, like, I mean, I think there's a way to serve everybody while also doing this other thing. And with this movie, I, I, I think it's really cool that like most of the villains, I mean, Jason Statham's character is a villain but of of circumstantial necessity, right? Like something happened to his brother and now he must avenge the death of his brother. But the other villain in the movie is the Jive and Hunsu character. <laughs> this sort of, you know, crazy African guy who in a movie in which everybody else is brown is just another villain and the politics of his being a villain are so much less awful than they would be in in that movie with jeff bridges and julianne moore where he's the villain diamond hunts you now who's a really good actor is now full-time heel mode <laughs> i mean it's not even a heel turn like the like the opposite of a of a what would it be what's the what's the opposite of a heel in wrestling a face a face it right, would exactly. be a face turn at this point he needs Jaiman to have Hansu a face like turn, a cool right. guy who everybody likes diamond hunsu and Kerry washington in love yeah but i mean Instead, you know, he it's amazing this movie. He looks like Mugatu. Right. <laughs> no, I mean this is the thing. Like in a different movie, if he were if this were like a Bruce Willis movie, it'd be kind of appalling that the the character he plays. It would be messed but up. But in but in this world, who else would the villain be? Like of course it's Jaiman Hunsu. Like it just I don't know. I love and this is what you can get away with in a movie when when your world reflects some aspect of the wider of wider aspects of, of of american life you can have as many black brown villains as you want because your heroes 
are there to balance out that 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 imbalance i mean it's just uh, you know that that what will be an imbalance in a different movie um i don't know i just found the ridiculousness of of all of those things like enhanced and 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 sort of mediated in some way by the racial diversity of the people in it and this movie even if these movies were terrible um, and made as much money as they'd made, they would still be important for that very fact, which is that they, without calling attention to themselves, have addressed a problem that continue that persists in, in American popular culture, which is just the underserving and underrepresentation of non-white people. And not in a, like, like I said, not in a way that is like, hey, we're addressing the underserved here with our very important social commentary film about people of color. No, it's an action movie that happens to, that happened in this case really does as much as I hate the expression happens to be that happens to feature brown people. Lots of them yeah. doing all kinds of things. Driving cars backwards out of airplanes. That's true. All of that. We'll see if this, yeah, if it leads to anything. I mean, it's weird because. We oh my God, people- Alex, it's been 14 years. <laughs> What's it led to? No, I'm saying if, like if anybody takes the lesson from this and moves forward in that in in that way and figures out that that's one of the things that makes this these this franchise good and successful is that it has. But that. the because, lesson's been going on for a decade I and know, a half. Well, I guess, but no. What I'm saying is like when people when people rip off this movie, you get Need for Speed. You get you know God bless them. You, you get, get biker. Aaron, you do get, get biker Aaron boys. Yeah. You get biker boys. That's no, true. Which was on the other day and is terrible. You get torque. You get torque. Oh, torque is torque is better. Is torque, torque is better zone? than Biker Boys? Yes, torque is better. Of course, torque is better than Biker Boys. Is, but, tor- is where I don't know where torque falls in the in the torque. I think of comes movies. after Biker Boys. Biker Boys is right after Fast and the Furious, the, the second Fast and Furious movie. Um, it has Larry Fishburne. It, he's got to have his. He's got to be in a girdle or something. <laughs> but he, they have to put him in this leather stuff and these tight shirts. It is you. So that's such a subtle shot, woo. by the way, Larry Fishburne. This is Larry Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne is the guy who goes. He's on Hannibal. Larry Fishburne. Yeah, I'm not saying Larry, I'm not saying Lawrence Fishburne and Biker Boys in the same sense. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> he can't be Lawrence in this one. No, it just can't happen. It's, it's, it's anyway, yeah, um, Biker Boys came out. Uh, I think the year after or two years after Fast and Furious, or The Fast and The Furious, and um, it's it's quite bad. Derek Luke and it's basically custody you know Larry Larry Lauren Larry Fishburne I can't do it um <laughs> actually can't do it you tried no Larry Fishburne has slept with uh a woman who happens to be uh Derek Luke's mother who's played by Vanessa Bell Calloway and it he didn't know that Lawrence Fishburne he didn't know Larry Fishburne's character <laughs> Is uh is the, who's the who's the movie badass? He's he's the he's the king of the streets. His name is Smoke, by the way, if sure. memory serves. And uh, this cast is just amazing. Jaimon Huntu's in that movie. <laughs> Lisa Bonet's in that movie. Larence Tate's in that movie. Megan Good's in that movie. But it's terrible. It's terrible. But this, I mean, but look, if that's a lesson that we take from Fast and Furious, I'll have Biker Boys every week if it means that. It's not some opportunistic attempt to like capitalize on that and just becomes the way things are where you have a whole range of people in these in these action movies, whether they are good or bad. Works for me. Okay. Well we'll be right back to talk about water. I'm doing it. 
Gonna be a lot of irate citizens when they find out that they're paying for water that they're not gonna get. Oh, that's all taken care of. See, Mr. Gibbs, either you bring the water to L.A. or you bring L.A. to the water. How are you gonna do that? By incorporating the valley into the city. Simple as that. How much are you worth? I have no idea. How much do you want? No, I just want to know what you're worth. Over 10 million? Oh, my, yes. Why are you doing it? How much better can you eat? What can you buy that you can't already afford? The future, Mr. Gitz. The future. So what was, this was your, you, you brought this up to me, and weirdly I have a personal connection to this segment where I have some personal things to talk about because I spent the last couple days driving up and down Interstate 5 going to visit my dad in Northern California. But let's talk about why, what what was the prompt for us to talk about drought culture I'd, for you? Well, for, for one thing, I mean, it's just the fact that California has, Jer, Governor Jerry Brown has imposed a, a, a water restriction on California during this, this fourth year of a, of a drought. Right. And I mean, it's the harshest set of restrictions ever placed on the state. And I believe it is a 25% water reduction, something like that. Um, and it's, it's mandatory and it's up to the water departments to, or the, you know, the water companies to figure it out. Um, I don't know. I think what struck me about this is that it seems it, it, it always, when I watch Chinatown, for instance, which is the clip that we just played, um, I, I just didn't, it just didn't seem possible to me. I grew up in Philadelphia. There was never a water problem. Um, the idea that a movie that, you know, a significant part of the plot of a movie could be about the, the theft and, and, um, sort of legality of, of, of water distribution. Um, it just really surprised me. I mean, it seemed like science fiction and in a movie that obviously is not science fiction it is, it is something else. It's film noir. Um, but I was struck by that. And then, you know, you, you, I lived in California for three years. I go to California quite a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm very attuned in some ways to the infrastructure of like what makes California such a wonderful place. Like it's, it's the best state in the world to get produce for instance, or the best state in America. Sorry. Um, and then, you know, you read something like Joan Didion's Holy Water, which is an essay she wrote uh, in the late 1970s, I think 79, uh, about her own fascination with, with California and its waterways. Um, it's sort of man-made waterways. And you just remember that there's this huge infrastructure and like set up to both profit from and, and distribute water. And what happens to all of those things when, you know, there, there's a scarcity of water and, you know, you get used to your beautiful lawn and watering your crops? Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just think about it a lot because the other thing is that California is on the Pacific Ocean. And so the idea of a drought to me just it's strikes me as being ironic in some ways. And I, and I understand like what I understand what the particulars of it is. Right. Uh, Can't of, irrigate of the, with salt water, but 
Yeah. Right, right, right. And I, yeah, I understand like why that can happen. I understand the particulars, but I just, there's just so much there that, that it's just such a rich problem and such a fascinating problem and such a grim and troubling problem. And there's so much, it, there's so much of it in popular culture it that it just sort of war. I don't know. I just wanted to discuss it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, it's weird. And see how you felt. Yeah, I mean, no, I I moved here a couple years ago from from New York to Los Angeles. To Los Angeles, uh, so I I moved here in just in time for the the, the four year drought. Four year drought had just gotten started when I got here. Um, I've lived in two houses since I moved here. Both of them have had lawns, right? Uh, mm-hmm. One of them had a sprinkler system. The one that I'm in right now has a sprinkler system that I have nothing. I don't I have nothing to do with. It is set by somebody, you know, when it, when it goes on, it's on a timer. You know, sometimes if you're awake at night, you'll hear it go on. It goes on at night. The previous place that I lived in did not have the sprinkler system, and uh, the lawn was dead all the time, basically. <laughs> it died. It died on our mm-hmm. watch because I don't think, like, basically because my wife and I could not conceive of the amount of watering that was required to keep this thing going and keep it alive. I mean, like there's some, there's, we had some circumstances. There was like a big tree that was sucking up all the water. It's not important. Like uh, the the specifics of that, but it was a sort of a a microcosm of what's actually required to keep this, to keep grass alive because there's not supposed to be grass there. Like that's really the ultimate thing that you get to. I'm a big fan of Mike Davis's city of quartz, uh, which is, I mean, I was, Amazing book about Los Angeles that anybody who's interested in this subject at all, who if you if you're interested in this subject, chances are you've read this book. If not, absolutely. you made me read it like 15 years ago. Uh, yeah, that's probably right. I was probably reading it like right when you know right after. Like I remember I was like reading it like after college. And like there's two. There's like the, I also his he has a follow up called Ecology of Fear, which I also really like, which has an amazing chapter. I've been writing about. I'm working on a thing about uh, L.A. apocalypse movies. Um, for sort of tied to this to uh, San Andreas, and uh, so I went back and read that. That he has a great chapter about the literary destruction of Los Angeles and all of the different circumstances by which it's been destroyed. You know, by uh, you know aliens and uh, you know uh, fire and also like racial uprising things like that. There's a lot of surprisingly like there's a lot of like, you know that I guess not surprisingly, but that you know that is another fear. It's been decanted in these things. Anyway. What the weird part to me, and I sort of learned this from the lawn experience, and I've since been reminded of it as I've been reading about the fact that it takes a gallon of water to make an almond. P.S. Yeah, yeah, pistachios is, and almonds are the are the real. Yeah, I mean, crazy look, part of this. like meat is the real part of this. Like, if you look at it, it's actually like what it takes to grow an avocado. The amount of water it takes to grow an avocado is crazy. But like, it, it actually like what it takes to like raise cattle is way more. Like, if you actually see it visually represented on a graph, like it's out of control. I believe it's eighty percent of the water is going to agriculture. Yeah. So like, basically, it's 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 weird because on the one hand, this feels apocalyptic, but it's also it's like, oh, we're not supposed to be able to grow broccoli in the desert. You know, right. like that is right. the weird right. part. That's the, the that's the unnatural thing. And like, that's what the Mike Davis thing is about. That's one of, you know, one of Davis's big themes is that like, the you know, the reason, you know, and there's a lot of stuff in Ecology of Fear about like bobcat attacks. And like the reason bobcats are attacking is that like, we're just not supposed to live here. We're in the sort of, you know, 
like we're in their territory and like it's not that like oh bobcats are getting more vicious it's just that like they're you know we're now living in what's supposed to be the bobcat habitat and that's the the thing about water too is that it's not it's not supposed to be that way and like los angeles is able to exist because we are pumping in water from other places which is what you know that's what chinatown is about i think like hollis mulray is william mulholland supposedly not exactly but like right, in the right. sort of you know in, in the in the you know the represents how it's represented, uh, you know like what he's sort of who he's supposed to be like who Robert Town is writing about in in Chinatown. But yeah, it's weird too because I spent all this time driving up and down the five, which is you know has I've done it before. It's never it's always kind of soul killing because it's just straight. It's two lanes. It's mostly trucks. Mm-hmm mostly through farmland and i remember driving it and being sort of like oh it's boring farm 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 now it's just brown it's really insane it's just brown sort of dotted with these signs about i don't and i don't pretend to understand the the politics of these signs and i don't know what they're i don't know if they're right or wrong or what they're you know what they're getting at exactly but sort of all these signs sort of blaming congress and blaming barbara boxer and things like that for the drought sort of like you know no water equals no jobs Senator, soon Senate. to be former Senator Barbara Bach. Yeah. Um, yes. but, but, you know, it, it feels apocalyptic and it feels like it feels like interstellar. It feels like that kind of thing where it's like, oh, this is actually, you know, this is this is happening here. And it is. I think it's apocalyptic for a way of life. But the way of life is maybe, you know, it, it was maybe unsustainable all along. And I think that's what, you know. So much LA apocalypse culture is that's what that that's what that is. It's the it's the the sneaking suspicion that this is a settlement that's not supposed to be here, in mm-hmm. so, in some sense, you know. But then mm-hmm. it, you know, but it was really good for agriculture in a lot of ways because of the, you know that you had to sort of uh, it's like the sea air something about I'm I'm not you know I'm getting I don't know, this is not the agriculture podcast. This is not a podcast. Please don't hold me to my understanding of, you know, crop rotation or anything like that. But it was like that the air is really good because of the air is really so it has a lot of moisture in it. And so you could grow things here that you couldn't grow in certain other places. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. It's but, yeah, it's weird because it's that that stuff is that part of history, the Chinatown part of history is like, you know, I've always been sort of fascinated by it, but now it's kind of, it's real to me in a different way, you know? And like, I, I sort of see like, I, 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 I feel bad because I have this, you know, I have a lawn and it is, it is, it's, I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't own this Are you defying, are you defying the governor? No, I have no control. Want to water your lawn? I have no control over it. It is an automatic system that I assume somebody like, I guess my, the person who owns the house is in control of, you know, Mm -hmm. but no, it's just, it's, it's weird because, you know, I would like, I also like, I remember like the first time I was in uh, Palm Springs, which is like desert, desert, you know, LA is technically, I think it's a savanna rather than a desert. That's what somebody, yes. somebody told me. It's not, you know, Palm Springs is obviously a desert. It's a desert community. And I remember having a moment once, like when I was staying there, like having to go outside at night uh, to check something and, you know, walking out by where the, all the controls for like the air conditioning and the pool and stuff that's, you know, all that were all the sort of technology and, and kind of having a moment being like, oh, this is basically, it's not a conveyance, but this is basically, I'm on, this is a spaceship that we're on there is a life support system here and like it, oh, the wow, only yeah. reason 
we would not we wouldn't die immediately but like this would be we would not be able to be here if not for all of these mechanisms that are air condition you know cooling the air and you know all of that stuff you know keeping it happening so it's you know it's it's strange because you just you suddenly realize in a way that i don't think you do walking around you know in philadelphia or new york or whatever that uh, you know you're you are kind of stealing a lot of water and sort of you know your 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 existence is waste in some extent yeah. in some ways i really I mean, like living that, here but yeah does that feel different from san francisco where you grew up well yeah because the other thing about it is that i grew up with you know i was a big fan of like pavement and i grew up with like all of these like pavement songs like unfair about how Los Angeles steals all of the water oh, from the yeah. north. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like Pavement has a sort of a couple of different songs. Like there's also Unseen Power of the Picket Fence, which is a Civil War yeah. song, but it's the rever- it's 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 a you know they reverse the you know it's a metaphorical Civil War song and it's about the war you know and like Unfair is about sort of you know wa- like the war between Northern and Southern California and like so I had this I always had this sense you know because like uh, that you know that was what was going on that that was the you know the the great crime behind the great fortune of Los Angeles and I do I do trace that back to pavement but then I sort of read more about it and like understood like what that was you know the, the, what the foundation for that was and so yeah no when I was when I, I I mean I grew up in San Francisco and I never felt like there was and I remember there being droughts and you know drought restrictions and have you know like got to take shorter showers and things like that but you know, it was just it was just different because the climate never felt like, you know, like this would not like without water pumped in from other places. This would this would not this would not work. Right. This would be right. this would be unsustainable. You didn't have that that feeling. So we've there's a Mad Max movie coming. There's a there's another George. George uh, Miller. George. George is back. George <laughs> George Miller has decided to 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 return to Mad Max after he all. apparently his budget was good enough unlike David Lynch's for him to continue to pursue this project over and over again until it finally came to fruition and um it's coming in May and it is it it appears to be like as bleak and as apocalyptically dry as as the other movies um not California but but Australia and but I mean I don't know. Whenever I see these sorts of things, like all you really think, all I think about is 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 um, the sort of unnatural. Like you see something like Interstellar, which is a post-apocalyptic farmscape in which all there is left, the last the last edible growable crop uh, is corn. Appropriately enough for that movie. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I've, you know, Jessica, you made a really good movie. Um, well, not, I mean, it, it works. It really, it's a very effective movie called Last of the Last Call of the Oasis. It's a documentary from, I think, maybe three years ago. Um, and it did really feel like, I mean, at the time, it sort of felt like she might be over, not overstating what's going on, but I think there was a kind of heavy handedness about it. But I don't know. I, I might actually watch that movie again now and, and see how I feel because, you know, I mean, it's really about the water supply um, and how precious it is. I mean, these are things that African countries go through and, other, you know, other countries, too, all the time. But um, there is something about the the way it happens in California because the culture is seemingly so predicated on this paradise 
in the middle of of all this dryness um that's especially alarming in in terms of it's now in terms of you know Jerry Brown acknowledging that it's happening and you know I wonder like I wonder if this will change people's awareness or like make people aware at all of you know things like things that like when you said when you were a kid when we were kids like conservation was a thing but it wasn't i mean especially where i was it wasn't mandated it wasn't you know there was no government ordinance or or you know government stated ban on you know water use after a certain hour or you know water reduction um I don't know. I'm actually surprised that, that, that this is affecting me as much as it is. But I mean, I'm really, it's fascinating to me as a person who loves California and as a person who like fears the end of the world. Um, and you know, has been primed through a steady diet of popular, certain aspects of popular culture, science fiction books and movies, um, to be aware that there's, that there's something that there's a pro that it's been prophesized. But, you know, a prophecy and the actual reality of, 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 you know, the planet changing for, you know, a variety of reasons is really alarming. And it makes me especially um, sensitive to it when I'm watching a movie or reading a book. Well, it's weird because, the yeah, I mean, the fact that it's been so prophesized, I think, makes it hard to believe that it's actually happening Mm-hmm. Because it just that's the seems... thing about the Joe and Didion essay too, which yeah. is if you if you I don't know if you, the last time you read that Holy Water, which one is that is that in is that in White Album or uh, it's in the White Album, yeah, yeah, it's in the White Album, um, and it, it just you know it it her fascination with California's water is 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 very specific and very in, uh, intense and sort of awakens this journalistic interest in her in wanting to know how how the how the irrigation system itself works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she goes and 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 explores that, but then she all keeps going back to her her relationship to lawns, her relationship to swimming pools. Um, yeah, you become Joan Didion out here. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, you know, because <laughs> yeah. you're sort of the the because the things that are you know, I mean, obviously it's different. I'm I, I like really it's an like it, it's a it's an economic apocalypse waiting to happen you know it's not we're not like heading for ice pirates what we're heading for is like you know that like the, you know the economic impact of agriculture having to sort of you know change the way it works and just not working anymore you know and, like that's what we're really worried about but like the way that it represents in our lives i have definitely i've mentioned lawns and pools like i'm terrible you know, right. Not, like, but I, I mean, well, under these circumstances, you're probably OK. Yeah. But I mean, you know, she also goes into like California's like plagues of the apocalypse culture, too, mm-hmm. where, you know, earthquakes and fires and, you know, like extreme aridness and dust. And, and it, it's it's just, you know, there's a quote that she has. I got to get the book out, but there's a Bernard uh, DeVoto quote in there about rainfall. Um, and some, it's not scientific and statistically oriented, but like, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I don't know. I was just, I was fascinated by this. I figured it'd be a fun thing to talk about in as much as such a thing can be fun. Um, but you know, you watch, you're going to watch a movie like San Andreas, which is about earthquakes, obviously, but you're going to kind of watch it through the eyes of, of, oh God, is this, this could happen. This also could happen in any minute. Well, this is my, Um, yeah, this is my thesis about sort of la disaster movies like even if it's like alien invasion you know even if it's like independence day or whatever like it's not 
nobody's actually afraid of War of the Worlds happening, but it, mm-hmm. I think it somehow it it stands in for what we're really afraid of, and you know the same you know like uh like Earthquake, the movie Earthquake is an L.A. Oh, movie. Earthquake. You know, and all of these things. What that what it stands in for are more complicated kind of, you know, it, like sort of economic and sort of social and all of those things. And like just the general feeling that like this, this is not a sustainable settlement on this planet that we are, you know, this is not a viable, this is the, 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 the moon colony that fails on, on some mm-hmm. level. And that, you know, I mean, like Mike Davis has this thing that basically like the fact that it's lasted this long is just gambler's luck. You know, and he pulls out all these examples of, you know, 200 year droughts in the past and everything. And it's like there was this one moment when it really worked to do it here. Anyway, this is where I've chosen to raise my children um, and live life. It's cool. You're you and all the other Californians. So brave. I will be right back with the jam of the week. There it is. This pavement's unfair. That is not the jam of the week, but that's where my that's where my water politics come from. It's from Stockton. Good, good. You know, I have to say that that was my. I had never had pavement when I was when I moved to California, and and Zach Tripp and Stan Shepard, uh, and Rebecca DiLiberto, they all gave me pavement and changed my it. I my entire all my years in California completely framed by by an enthusiasm for pavement and like that song for sure was um i don't know it was it was a huge part of my perception of my time in california and in san francisco specifically anyway what is it that what is, is not, it what is it that is not the jam of the week so all right i'm it's driving the jam of the week driving i5 had a lot of time to listen to things uh mm-hmm. going up there i saw it by the way speaking of dust storms i saw it we saw a twister <laughs> like that's not good Whoa. It was well away from the car, but I was like, that is a thing. That's a, you know, it's a funnel. That is the thing. It is just moving across some dust fields. Um, oh it's real. It's real out there on I-5. You don't know. It's I like, really don't know. What it's like. We're in this car with our Dasani, just live, living that life. Anyway, this is a song. I don't have much to say about this song, but I really enjoyed it. You know, there's something really kind of just like, droney and vibey about it. It's a canned heat song. It's called Poor Moon. It's about a young man who is afraid that someday the face of the moon will be disfigured by atomic testing. We're in the oh apocalyptic mode. Let's stay in that mode. Happiest Prince movies ever. But yeah, canned heat. That's a subject for further investigation by me. Uh, yeah, I don't. They were always. They always seemed like a joke to me when I was a kid. But I think that was maybe because they were called canned heat. Yeah, I mean, can't. Yeah. But I also, I feel like I have memories of adults being like, "Oh God, can't he?" <laughs> I just remember Ann Magnuson on the, one of those Bongwater albums, dreaming about <laughs> making love to the big fat lead singer of Can't Heat. Uh, I remember that. But the, the, this is, yeah. I mean, just I don't know if there's a jug involved in this song. It feels like there should be a jug, kind of 13th mm. floor elevators kind of jug vibe. Anyway, thank you, Wesley. Thank, Thank you, you Joseph Alex. Fuentes. 
Thank you, David Jacoby. Thank you, uh, Snowpack up north for whatever water you have given us down here in Southern Which California. Which is actually zero. Thank you. This. We're sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Northern California. I apologize for my lawn. I mean, you're not watering out. You don't have to be that sorry. I'm not physically doing it. I can't control it. Um, anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.